Last week, we started this brand new series called I Believe. And what we're looking at is that ancient creed, 2,000 years old, that ancient statement of faith about who God is. If you're new to church, or if you don't know much about the creed, uh, the creed was written around 100 A.D., and it was written for two reasons. Number one, uh, the Bible wasn't completed in one big book. It w- Let me rephrase that. The Bible was completed, but it wasn't uh, compiled into one big book. Uh, the letters scattered around, and they would go from church to church, from temple to temple, uh, and people could read it if they went to the temple. But it wasn't in one big book. And so people were wondering, Christians, who's God? And so they wrote this statement of faith, so that people could say right off the top of their head, here's who God is. I believe in God the Father Almighty. It also served uh, to combat false teaching. Even 100 AD, that early on, false teaching about who Jesus was and is started creeping into the church. And so the statement of faith helped combat the errors that were being taught in, in even churches at the time. And so theologians and pastors sat down, they looked at all the truths of Scripture, and they pulled out the truths of Scripture of who God is and wrote this statement of faith. Last week, we looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty. If you were here last week, uh, you know that we don't have an ordinary God whatsoever. We have a God who is one God, yet three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have an infinitely powerful God and an intensely personal God at the same time. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it on our YouTube channel, on our website, in our app, and I encourage you to do so because what we're seeing is that who God is matters in the 21st century. It absolutely matters. He matters. And to start with that foundational one is so important. Today, we are faced with a question that is the most important question that you can answer. Not just now, but forever. The answer to this question will impact you not just in eternal life, but today. And if you've been around the Christian church a long time, you're probably thinking, I know this, I know this question. The question is, if I were to die tonight, where am I going to go? No, that's not the question. <laughs> uh, it's a question that Jesus asks his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And so let's dig in. We're about two years uh, at the sec- end of the second year of Jesus' ministry. Here's what he says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We'll stop right there. Jesus takes his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Notice, this isn't a big crowd. This isn't massive amounts of people. This is Jesus' 12 disciples. If you read the Gospels, Jesus balances these three aspects all the time. These three, ready? Number one, being with large crowds, teaching and preaching the people, pouring into them. But then he balances that with taking his 12 closest disciples and he goes deeper with them. 
He builds them deeper. He teaches them deeper than he teaches the crowds because he's getting ready for those disciples to become apostles and lead the church after Jesus is gone. And then he balances that with the number three thing, spending time with God the Father in prayer. We could go down a whole rabbit hole here of what this means for Christian leadership, but we'll save that for the fall when I'm going to offer a Christian leadership class. There's a little plug for all of you. But Jesus takes his disciples, just the 12, so he's in that second aspect. Uh, he's taking just the 12 up to a region of Cesa- the region of Caesarea Philippi. Let me show you a map here. Um, oh man, I'm hoping you can see it. You see the, the word uh, Eulatha that's up right above that body of water. If you go just to the right of that, in the red line is a town called Caesarea Philippi. Notice there's Galilee on the left, the Sea of Galilee. We are at the very northern edge of what was considered the land of Israel and the kingdom of Israel back in the day. If you follow the Sea of Galilee straight down, you get to the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is down there. Uh, Samaria is that purple spot at the bottom left. It separated Galilee from uh, Jerusalem, uh, where the Jews kind of said, these are our territories, Galilee and Jerusalem. We're at the very northern edge. It's called Caesarea Philippi because the Romans own all of this at the time. So Caesar Augustus is Caesar in Rome, uh, and he's overall, and King Herod, who was like the Jewish puppet king, was ruling the nation, that area, when Jesus was born. He started to beautify the city of Caesarea Philippi. He died before it was done. His son Philip finished it. And so it's the city of Caesar of Philip. So the city of Caesar that Philip built and beautified. So they are in Roman territory when Jesus asked this question to his disciples. And if you know anything about the Roman government, if you say you have a king other than Caesar, what happens? Nothing good. And Jesus asks his disciples this very important question. Who do you Who do the people say I am? What's Jesus asking? He's asking for the gossip, right? Not that he needed to know. He already knew. But it's for the disciples' sake. What's the gossip? What's the the scuttlebug? What's the tea, I think is the new term. What's the tea, the gossip? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Going back to Daniel chapter 7. And they said, Jesus, some people are saying Elijah others John the Baptist, others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. It's quite the list, isn't it? If you know your Bible history, you know these are big-time players in the kingdom of God. And yet, what do all of them have in common at this time? They're all dead. They're all dead. Even Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded by this time. They're all dead. And Jesus says, okay, that's who they say I am. What about you? He turns the question inward. Here's what he says. But what about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter knocks it out of the park. 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ. It's a Greek word which means anointed one. And so Jesus, here's your first point today, Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Christ, the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Both mean the same thing, anointed one. And in Israel's history, they had a lot of anointed ones. Every priest and every king, before they entered their office, was anointed into office to show that they have been chosen, selected, and commissioned by God to act on behalf of the people and on behalf of God. But as Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. The chosen one. We know what an anointed one is. We know what a chosen one is. I'm sure some of you in your younger days uh, were chosen for something. I was chosen for something. Let me tell you the story. Uh, My brother and I, when we were in like fifth or sixth grade, had these blow-up chairs. Not really a popular thing anymore, uh, but back then it was. These blow-up chairs that we'd sit, we'd play video games in, we'd watch movies in, eat popcorn. Uh, Well, one night, my two sisters and my brother and I were all in the same room. My mom was off doing something in the other room, and we thought it would be a great idea. Correction. My brother and I thought it would be a great idea to pick up these chairs and run at each other and bang the chairs and fall backwards. And so we did it the first time, and it was awesome. You're, it's exhilarating. You fall backwards. But then, like anything else, you kind of have to keep stepping it up a notch in order to make it more and more fun. And so the game ended when my brother and I ran at each other, and I decided to get a little extra force and extend my arms. And my brother flew backwards and hit his head on the wall. And so all of us, we, we went to Zach and we said, are you okay? I'm fine, I'm fine. But then we looked at the wall and there was a hole in the drywall for my brother's head. All of us freaked out. Who's going to tell mom that there's a hole in the wall and it, by the way, it was caused by Zach's head. I was chosen. <laughs> I was the anointed one to go and, and, and tell my parents, my mom, that there's a hole in the wall, and by the way, Zach's head caused it. I was the bearer of bad news. Jesus was the anointed one, selected, chosen, and commissioned by God, not to be the bearer of bad news, but to be the bearer of sin. To come to this world selected, chosen, anointed by God to come into this world and take on our sin. That's what Isaiah 53 says. He became, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, He became our sin. He bore it. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. He was anointed, selected, chosen, and commissioned by God to be the chosen Messiah, to bear our sin, to go through death, to conquer it all on behalf of us and for God. And that's exactly what He did. He was 
the anointed one. He is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. But in there, if you remember back to Daniel chapter 7, what was the Christ going to also have? Authority, glory, and power. Not only is he the anointed one to bear our sin, but Jesus is also the Lord. He is the Lord. All authority, power, and glory is his. That's what we saw in Daniel chapter 7. Do we view Jesus as Lord? He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He gets the end all, be all, what he says goes. Imagine standing before a king, and a king says, hey, go do this. Would you ever say no? And yet, how often on Sunday morning don't we stand right here and we confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, and Jesus says, great, now do this, and we say, no. Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord. But then there's one other thing that Peter says. You are the son of the living God. And that's your last point. Jesus is the son of God. You are the Christ. He is the Lord. He is the son of the living God. What does that mean? Three things. Jesus is the Son of God in the fact that, number one, He's co-eternal with the Father. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made through Him is what we heard in Colossians. Jesus is co-eternal. He wasn't made. He wasn't born. He wasn't created. He is co-eternal with God the Father. He is the Son of God also in the fact that He had divine attributes. He did miracles. He preached and He taught with authority. And then finally, He's the Son of God in regards to His proximity. He and the Father are one. They are one. Not one in thought. They are one. The night before Jesus died, one of his disciples in John chapter 14 said, Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be good. And Jesus says, don't you know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Not if you've seen me, it's like you've seen the Father. It's no, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father because I and the Father are one. He is the Son of God. Of God. And if your mind is here just blown and you can't comprehend it, exactly. It's the Trinity, the triune God, one person, or one God, three persons. He is the Son of God. This is who He is. And Jesus says, You are absolutely right. And Peter, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what He says. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was 
the Christ. It wasn't time yet. People couldn't know. But notice what Jesus says on this rock, not on Peter, but on his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was going to build his church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hell cannot overcome Jesus. Your sin cannot overcome Jesus. The devil can't overcome Jesus. Death can't even overcome Jesus. And it's on him, Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, that the church is built. 2,000 years later, and it's still the case. And so now we have to ask the question, who do they say Jesus is? Who do the disciples say that Jesus is? Now, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus asks you today, who do you say I am? No matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your religious affiliation, you have an answer to that question. And unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, you can't get around it. You are going to have to answer this question at some point in your life, either here or when you stand before God in heaven or God at the end of the world. You will have to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Every major religion has an opinion on Jesus. Atheists have an answer for who Jesus is. Agnostics have an answer for Jesus. Nuns have an answer for Jesus. Not N-U-N-S, not a Catholic nun, N-O-N-E-S. No religious affiliation. They have an opinion on Jesus. And so what's yours? Who is Jesus? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really believe in Jesus. I don't believe he was a real person He was more of a myth or a legend. He wasn't a real thing. The only problem? There are Roman historians that weren't Jewish, that weren't Christian, that record a man named Jesus of Nazareth who did miracles. So then you're not just denying the Bible, but you're denying history. Well, okay, maybe he was a legit person, but I don't really buy the God thing. He's just a good teacher. Like C.S. Lewis said, Jesus doesn't give us that option. Because Jesus very clearly claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be God. And so then either he's a liar and he's not God, or, like C.S. Lewis said, he's a lunatic. He's a liar who deceived people into thinking he was a God, or he is who he said he is. And if you know anything about cults that push lies, they don't last very long after their leader is dead. And yet, the Christian church has boomed after their leader has gone away from this earth. So he's deceived millions and millions of people if it's really a lie. Or he's crazy. But if he's crazy and you read the Gospels, you realize this isn't a man who's saying crazy things. This is a man who's saying a lot of things that make sense. And so maybe he is who he says he is. Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. I read this uh, really great thing this week. At least I think it's great. Uh, Mark Pauschen, a professor at Martin Luther College, wrote in a book, he said, let's, let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's think, if God were to enter this world, 
if God were to come here, what would we expect? I think we would expect that he would let us know in advance when he was coming, where he was coming, and how he'd come into this world. I think we would expect that when he finally came into the world, it would be in such a unique way that there would be without a doubt that it had to be God. I think we would expect miracles. I think we would expect that his word would have universal application and it would last for a long time. I think we'd expect to look at, at God become flesh and say and see the most beautiful life, the way a human being was supposed to live in this world, filled with love. I think we would expect that when God came into the world that he do something about our greatest enemy, death. And then Mark Pauschen said, does this remind you of anyone? Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. That is who he is. That is what the church is built on. God in the flesh came to you and me. This is who he is. This is what we need. This is who the church is built on. Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. It's who he is. We don't get to pick and choose. He is who he is. The anointed one, the Lord, God's son. But don't we like to pick? Don't we like to pick and choose? Of course we do. That's why we love buffets. How many of you have been to Golden Corral? I saw, I saw uh, Anna over there pointing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Golden Corral. Oh, my. Sirloin steak, Bourbon Street chicken, fried chicken. You got the golden shrimpies. Uh, and it's hard to believe, but the fried ravioli isn't even an entree. It's a side. And then you've got potatoes, scalloped potatoes, mashed potatoes, green beans. My personal favorite, Brussels sprouts. We haven't even touched the desserts yet. We get to pick and choose at a buffet. And you know who else gets to choose? Your kids. Everyone gets what they love. That's the best thing about a buffet. And we can load up with as much as we want on the things that we want, and we can leave what we don't want there. Maybe I just want to load up on the sirloin steak and leave the golden shrimpies for next time. We try to do that with Jesus sometimes, don't we? Today, Jesus, I'm feeling you as the Christ, the anointed one who took away my sin. I like that you're the Son of God, but hold the Lord on the side. I'll come back tomorrow or maybe next week, and then I'm ready for you to be Lord. And yet we can't do that. Because Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, that's who he is. The Bible gives us symmetry, like we talked about last week. And so we need Jesus to be Lord because that's who Jesus is. Some of us need to grow, myself included, in Jesus as Lord. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? How often on Sunday mornings, again, don't we stand here and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and then not do what he says? Some of us need to look at our lives and evaluate the habits that we have, 
the priorities that we have or don't have. And we need to make adjustments because Jesus Christ is our Lord. Not just when we've lost control and we say, Jesus, take the wheel, be the Lord. No, all the time, Jesus is Lord. But He's not a tyrant. He's also your Christ, your anointed one. And some of us need to grow in that too. Because some of us sit here today and and we can think about all the guilt and the shame and the things we did in the past and we say, there's no way Jesus could have forgiven me for that. I've done things that nobody else has done. Jesus hasn't bore my sin. So it's good for everybody else, but not for me. Do you know what else we're really good at doing? Coming to the cross and laying our sins at the cross and saying, Jesus, here's what I've done, and I leave it with you, and then as we leave, we pick a little bit back up and put it in our back pocket because, Jesus, I'm not done bearing my own sin. We need to grow in the fact that Jesus is your anointed one, the one who God chose, selected, and commissioned on your behalf to live the perfect life that we were to live, to die, to take away your sin, every one of them, and to rise again so that you know that today you stand on Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, and He says to you, that you are forgiven. We need to grow in Christ, our anointed one. It's on Him and Him alone that when we stand, the gates of Hades will not overcome us. The devil cannot overtake you. Death cannot hold you down because you stand on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, who's conquered your sin, who's conquered the grave, and will one day call you from your grave, who now in heaven stands from his throne and says, you are at peace with God. And so it's no wonder that we confess and we want to confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, what a wonderful, glorious Savior you are. We thank you for being the Christ, the Christ, the anointed one who's taken away all of our sin. We thank you for being God's son, being who you are, God from eternity. We thank you for being our Lord because you have the best, our best interests at heart. We know that we can trust you and when you say to do something, we do it. When you say not to do something, we don't do it because you are the Christ, the anointed one who loved us so much that you lived and died and, and took away all of our sin. We thank you for that. Help us to grow in you and who you are because it's when we stand firm on you, our cornerstone, uh, that the gates of Hades will not overcome us, but we will live forever in heaven. Help us to grow in you and continue to have the peace that you give us. In your name we pray. Amen.